Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, Brazos Fellowship. All right. Y'all kind of awake. Awesome. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2024. What a great place to start the year together as a church. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Sam. I'm the director of uh, uh, ministry environments here at Brazos Fellowship. What that means is I have the privilege of getting to lead out in all of our classroom and small group environments from babies all the way through adults. And it is the greatest joy of my life to be able to serve on this staff. Next week, Pastor Will will be back with us and beginning a brand new series called Paper Walls. And in that series, he's going to be talking about how we can move beyond the excuses that we make that hold us back in life and in faith. And so make sure that you plan to be here for that new series beginning next week. But it's such an honor uh, for me that he's asked me to speak this morning, and, uh, and so um, I'm excited to get to do that. I do ask you, bear with me. One of the things that I got for Christmas this year was the crud. Um, maybe, maybe you had something similar in your house, and so I'm at the back end of that. I'm over it, but I'm still suffering some of the after effects, so bear with me this morning if you don't mind. But I have a question as we get started. Who still has your Christmas decorations up? A few, a lot, a lot more in this service than in the earlier service. Totally makes sense. You know, we're used to doing things a little later, right? So um, uh, he here's how that works in, in my house, is that we usually get the decorations out right after Thanksgiving, a fairly common time probably for many of us, right? And what happens, though, is something changes in my house because my family loves Christmas. And so when those decorations come out, when the tree goes up, when the lights go on the house, there's just this, this anticipation, right? This excitement like never before because we're excited about what's coming up, all of our family traditions leading up to Christmas, and ultimately for us, Christmas morning. I mean, there's just this excitement, right, that happens. And, and we do something similar here at the church also. Right after Thanksgiving, we decorate for Christmas, and at church, we call it the season of Advent in December. And the word Advent simply means the arrival of a notable person, or even a king. And so that's what we're doing is we're awaiting the birth of Jesus and we're getting ready to celebrate. And we celebrate through the season of Advent that for us at the church, that celebration culminates with the Christmas Eve service. And maybe your family has made our Christmas Eve service a part of your Christmas tradition every year. So we have our Christmas Eve traditions at our house and then we go home and then we have Christmas morning. And for us, this is the time where we open the gifts that we've gotten for each other and it's just a fun morning. It's like kind of the, 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 the pinnacle for us of all of our traditions of this morning. And it's just so much fun. I'm sure you have the excitement, however you do that in your house as well. And then we eat a good meal. And then by early afternoon, I mean, it just looks like a small bomb went off in our house. And then everybody kind of goes to their own corners of the house. And then it's over. And eventually we go back to school. We go back to work. And so most years we are literally cleaning up Christmas decorations on December the 26th, partly because of that small bomb thing, and it just feels like it's time to clean up, right? This year, we made it all the way to January the 1st before we did that, but just after we get over the anticipation, the excitement of what's to come, it just feels like it's time for us to clean up the decorations. 
And what I want to kind of present today is that, yeah, we have this season of Advent, and we love the season of Advent at church, where we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, and we celebrate having family time together and opening gifts together. But church, we are still in a season of Advent. Remember the meaning of the word, the arrival of a king. And so as the church, we are eagerly anticipating and expecting our king, King Jesus, to return, to come back. And so we are in this season of Advent. We're promised that he's going to come back. One of my favorite places is in Hebrews chapter 9. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sin of many people. And here's the promise. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly, and this is the word we're going to be looking at today, waiting for him. So we are perpetually in a season of Advent, waiting for and anticipating the return of Christ. Now, nobody likes waiting, right? Raise your hand if you like to wait at a red light. No hands. Absolutely none. We don't like waiting. We're not any good at waiting. We don't like waiting in line. We don't like waiting for our food. We don't like waiting. Just a few days ago, I had to go to the doctor's office, and the first thing they do is sit me down in a waiting room, and I became very aware of how much I don't like waiting. And I began thinking through how much time do I waste away while I'm waiting? And what that looks like for me, and I'm, I'm not proud to admit this, but what that looks like for me usually, forgive me if you can't relate, is that I pull out my phone. I know I'm probably the only one, right? And I scroll through social media or play a game or what I do more than anything is just obsessively check my email. Like I'm expecting the most important email of my life to come in any second. And so that day at the doctor's office, I decided, you know what, today while I'm waiting, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get my phone out. I'm going to keep my phone put up while I'm waiting today. And so as I sat there in the waiting room, several hours later, they called me back into the exam room. <laughs> I told you I don't like waiting. And so then there's more waiting back there, and you know, they send in some medicine. So I went to the pharmacy, and I had to wait there for the medicine. And what I'd like to tell you today is that in this kind of profound experiment that I did that day, putting away my phone while I waited, that I cracked the code on waiting. And I'm going to share with you today how waiting for you can be the most incredible experience of your life. That didn't happen, though. <laughs> I'm still terrible at waiting. But, but, but here's the thing is, so are you. We all are, right? So can we just kind of stand together in solidarity to, today and say, we are not good at waiting. And yet here we are, waiting, in this time of Advent, waiting for Jesus to return. Now, the good news for us is that Jesus taught a lot about what this time can and should look like for us as we wait, as we wait for him to come back. And his teachings were recorded by people who were there with him, eyewitnesses who lived with him and walked with him for over three years. And Matthew's one of those guys. And Matthew records in chapters 24 and 25 some of the most extensive teaching that Jesus gives on his second coming and what we're to be doing while we wait for him to return. In chapter 24, uh, Jesus teaches things like this. He says, uh, no one knows the day or the hour. He's talking about when he's going to return. No one knows the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. 
But then he says later, he says, but when that happens, as the lightning flashes in the east, it's going to be as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west. So nobody knows when it's going to happen, but when it happens, when I return, everybody's going to know. Nobody's going to have to wonder. And so he culminates all this teaching at the end of 24. He says, you also must be ready all the time. And he tells parables and chapter 25 about his second coming and the time between now and his second coming. And a parable is just a story to illustrate a point. Jesus was a master storyteller. And so he tells these parables, and we're going to look at one of those today. It's a parable really about the the time between his first coming and his second coming and what we're to be doing while we wait. And in this parable, he's talking about a wedding. Now, his listeners in the first century, they would have been very familiar with how weddings went down in the first century in their culture. What would happen is the, the groom would start out at his own house with some of his close friends. And when it was time for the wedding to happen, he would leave his house and walk to the bride's house. And he would enter the bride's house, and there would be a series of ceremonies that would take place while he's at the bride's house. And when those ceremonies are over, they would walk out, the bride and the groom would walk together out of the bride's house, and waiting for them outside the house was a great procession of people their friends, their family, and they would all then process or walk together back to the groom's house where there would be a feast, a great feast, this party that would usually last several days. And so that's the context. That's what's happening in this story that Jesus is about to tell. And so he starts this story, this parable in Matthew 25, verse 1. He says this, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. A few things for us to notice right away in this uh, first verse of the parable that he's telling. First of all, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, many of his parables started, the kingdom of heaven is like or will be like, right? Pastor Will has used uh, this quote from um, this scholar and theologian, Dallas Willard, to kind of describe or define what the kingdom of heaven is. And I love this. It's where what God wants done is done. That's a way to think about or describe the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, like I said, he taught a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Many times he taught as in it's here right now. And what he's talking about is that it's present with his followers. Our lives should be the place where what God wants done is done. We are uh, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are carriers of the kingdom of heaven in this world that we live in. In this instance, though, he's talking about the future kingdom, the coming kingdom of heaven. What God promises, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and all of his followers will be there with him forever and ever, and Jesus is going to reign in that kingdom as king forever, and that's the second thing to notice, is that there's a bridegroom. The bridegroom represents the king, represents Jesus, all right? And the third thing to notice is that there are bridesmaids. Now, the bridesmaids in a wedding in the first century, these were young, usually unmarried friends of the bride who helped her prepare for the wedding. And they waited outside of the bride's house to meet the groom, right? And that was, that was kind of their job, their role. And the bridesmaids in this story, they represent us. They represent you and me. And then the fourth thing is that they have lamps in a wedding procession because they never came out of the bride's house till after dark, everybody that was in the procession, every individual was expected to carry their own lamp or most likely a torch. And anybody who showed up for a wedding procession that didn't have their own lamp, they were assumed to be a wedding crasher 
or in some cases, even a member of a gang who was there to ambush and rob the new bride and groom. And so those are some things to notice right away. Let's see where he goes from here, though. Verse 2, talking about the, the bridesmaids. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Let's see in the next verse is what distinguishes the foolish from the wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Now, the lamps that they carried, they could have been these little vessels that you poured oil into and it had a wick. They could have been like that, but most likely it was a a torch type of a thing, you know, a stick like you would imagine, a torch, a stick with a rag that they, they doused with the oil and lit it, and it lit the way. And so anybody who showed up for the wedding procession was expected to have their own lamp. The prudent would take along an extra flask of oil. But Jesus makes it very clear that these foolish bridesmaids didn't have any extra oil, and the wise bridesmaids did have the extra oil. They were prepared for what might turn out to be a long wait, and what did, in fact, turn out to be a long wait, because we'll see in verse 5, when the bridegroom was delayed, there's the wait, they all... All ten of them, all right, so this is something common between all of them, became drowsy and fell asleep. Verse 6 goes on, at midnight they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. All right, now listen, this is where I really connected because one week ago today was what? New Year's Eve, right? Now, I know you guys probably, every one of you were able to stay awake till midnight. But for me and my house, I was like the bridesmaids here. I couldn't wait. It just seemed to take forever. And by 9.30, 10 o'clock, 10.30 at the latest, I am out like a light. And somebody in my house at midnight is going to yell, Happy New Year, and wake everybody up so we can get up and go to bed, right? So that's kind of what happened here. They were waiting and waiting, and they got sleepy, fell asleep, and at midnight, here's the shout, he's coming, he's coming, and then this is where it really gets interesting, verse 7. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. All Ten of the bridesmaids. If it was the small little vessel, they trimmed the wick. If it was the torch style, they made sure that it was prepared to douse with the oil so they could light the way for the bridegroom. All ten of them got up. And then what happens in verse 8? Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. In other words, we don't have enough oil for our lamps, right? We can't do the job that we're supposed to do. And the wise bridesmaids then replied in verse 9. The others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves, which probably would have been a little difficult to find a shop that was open that late at night, right? However, the foolish bridesmaids, they did leave to try to find the oil that they needed to light their lamps. And while they were away, we see in verse 10, While they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were, and here's the key word, ready, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. So while the foolish bridesmaids are off trying to find the oil they need to light their lamps, the reason that Jesus referred to the wise bridesmaids as wise is revealed, and it's because they were ready. They were ready, and the foolish bridesmaids were not ready. 
which Jesus accentuates as he's telling this parable by saying, and the door was locked. Verse 11. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. So the foolish bridesmaids do return. We don't know if they actually found the oil they needed or if they just stumbled back in the darkness, but they're standing in the dark of night, pounding on the door saying, let us in, let us in. And then we're going to see the reply in verse 12. But he, this is the groom, the bridegroom, he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And that's the end of the parable. That's the end of the story. I don't know you. It's a statement that Jesus had actually used before. We see it in Matthew chapter 7 when he was teaching about the difference between his true followers and those who were just going through the motions. I don't know you. In both instances, the person Jesus is referring to is the person who doesn't have a personal relationship with him. And here's the point. Here's Jesus' point with this parable. They were all waiting, but only some of them were ready. They were all waiting, but only some of them were ready. They all were waiting. They all had a role to play in the wedding procession. They all had a job to do, to light up the path, right, for the bridegroom, to meet the bridegroom with their lamps and light up the path as they go back to his house for the party. That was their job, was to be ready. The means to do their job was the lamp and the oils, right? Five of them neglected at least half of the means. They didn't have the oil they needed. So they knew their job. If they hadn't known their job, they wouldn't have even shown up in the first place. If they hadn't known their job, they wouldn't have prepared their lamps. When Jesus says they prepared their lamps, if they hadn't known their job, they wouldn't have asked for the oil to borrow from the others. So they knew their job. They just weren't ready to do their job. And we don't know why they weren't ready. Maybe they weren't passionate, really that passionate about meeting the groom and going to the party. Maybe they were too busy earlier in the day and they just didn't think about it. They didn't take the time to think about getting extra oil. Maybe they just thought, well, we're not going to be waiting that long, so it really doesn't matter. We have plenty of oil. Maybe they just thought having the lamp was enough and they just assumed they could borrow the oil from somebody else. It, whatever their reason, it really doesn't matter. What does matter is, they don't, is that they weren't ready. And to make sure that his disciples don't miss the point, and to make sure that we don't miss the point, Jesus goes on teaching his disciples and teaching us, and he says this in verse 13. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. He says, while you wait, don't be like the foolish bridesmaids. I want you to be like the wise bridesmaids. I'm coming back. I've promised you I'm coming back. Nobody knows when. Only my father knows. But when it happens, everybody's going to know. I'm coming back, and I want you to be ready. So keep watch. Stay alert. Stand firm, he says. Be ready. By the way, this statement, this warning is the most loving thing that Jesus could have said at the end of this parable. It's the most loving thing he could have done or said because what he's saying, he's saying, I want you to be with me and I want to be with you. I've given you everything you need to be with me. I want you to be with me. I don't want you to miss it, but I'm not going to make you be with me. It's absolutely the most loving thing 
that he could have done. So for us, the question that we have to answer is this. What do we do while we wait? What do we do? Because we're in this season of waiting, and we've already established that we're terrible at waiting, right? Every one of us. But we can't get this wrong. There's too much at stake. So in this season of Advent, while, while we're waiting for our King, King Jesus, to return, to reign forever in His kingdom, how do we keep watch? How can we be ready? Well, there, the reality is that it would be impossible uh, in the short time we have just to create kind of an exhaustive list, right? I mean, we could start reading through and studying the Bible and see all the different ways that Jesus teaches us to love God and to love others. And here's the thing, I just want to encourage you and challenge you to do that. As a matter of fact, maybe that's a great New Year's resolution for you, is I'm just going to read the Bible every day. Jesus actually distinguishes between the wise and the foolish in another place in Matthew, where he says the wise are the ones who hear what I say and then put it into practice. They hear it and then they do it. And so maybe that's a challenge you can take on. Just read God's Word and put it into practice and do it. I I, I just encourage you to do that. But today, I want to give you a few things that I think there's going to be something here to meet everybody in this room where you're at today that you can do to be ready while we wait. Something that you can say, this is how I'm going to start 2024. This is how I'm going to start this new year. I'm committed to keeping watch. I'm committed to being ready. And the first thing and most important thing is this. Be sure of your salvation. Nothing else matters if you don't get this. Nothing else matters. It's the best thing that you can do to begin 2024 if you're not sure of your salvation. Make sure that when Jesus does come back, he doesn't look at you and say, I don't know you. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, nothing else even matters. Make sure of this. And we can make sure of this by doing what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be reconciled with God. This means your, your relationship with God will be restored. Look, we can go all the way back to the creation account in Genesis, and we can discover that that's what we were created for, to have a right relationship with God. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when everything in the world was perfect, the way God designed it, the way God created it to be, and then something happens. Sin enters the world. And listen, we're all sinners, every one of us. I am, you are, we all have sin in our lives and sin separates us from God. It breaks that relationship because God is holy. He can't have anything to do with sin. But God still loved us and he made a way by sending Jesus 2,000 years ago. And Jesus died to forgive us for our sins. And Jesus is gonna come back to usher in the forever kingdom of heaven. And anybody who has been saved gets to be with him forever in that kingdom. And so if you are not sure of your salvation, that is the best thing that you can do, the most important thing you can do in an incredible way to start 2024. And then we, when we close in a few minutes, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that and talk you through how you can do that. But I know we can still be saved, we can have a relationship with God, and we can still be terrible at waiting, right? Just like I'm pretty bad at waiting when I go to the doctor's office in the waiting room. We can still be bad at waiting, 
I just tend to kind of waste that time. And I think for a lot of us who are even followers of Jesus, we just kind of waste the time. We just waste the days away. And so uh, another thing that happened at the doctor's office the other day is I was sitting in the exam room waiting, and I didn't have my phone with me because I was doing this little experiment. The phone was on the other side of the room, and so I'm sitting on uh, the exam table. I don't know, after two or three hours, I got bored and started kind of looking around. I'm I'm telling you, I'm a terrible waiter. It was only a few minutes, but I'm looking around at the walls, and I noticed a cross hanging on the wall. And on the cross were the words of the Lord's Prayer. It says this, if you're not familiar with it, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as I read the Lord's Prayer, read the words of the Lord's Prayer over and over, I actually began to pray the Lord's Prayer sitting in the doctor's office. And as I was praying it, I just became just keenly aware of all of the beautiful reminders that we have about who God is, what God's done, and who he's created us to be. I mean, it starts out, our Father. He's created us for a relationship with him. And he wants to adopt us into his forever family by saving us. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The kingdom, remember, is where what God wants done is done. And so it just became a reminder to me that my life should be representative of the kingdom. In my life, things should be happening. What God wants done should be done in my life. And I read through, and he says, give us this day our daily bread. And it just became a reminder for me that God is going to give me today what I need for today. And I don't have to worry about that. There's a reminder in the prayer that God has forgiven me, and so I must forgive others. Then at the end, deliver us from evil. It was a reminder for me that I should be pursuing more holiness in my life and less sin. And so as I was praying through the Lord's Prayer, sitting in the doctor's office, I just began to wonder, what what would my life look like if I just started every day by committing my day, committing my life to God, by praying through the Lord's Prayer? What if I just started every day just reciting, praying these reminders of who God is and what God's done and who I am? Would that help me maybe stay alert? Would that help me keep watch that day? And I thought, man, what an incredible thing. So easy, so simple. We can all do that. And so I wonder what that would look like in your life, just every day to wake up and start the day by committing your day, committing your life to God by saying the Lord's Prayer, by praying the Lord's Prayer. You don't even have to have it memorized. You can write it out, tape it on your bathroom mirror, put it in the dashboard of your car, make it your lock screen on your phone or your computer, put it on your desk. So I just want to challenge you. I've taken up this challenge, and I'm committed for every day for the rest of January to start my day by committing myself to God, by praying the Lord's Prayer. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing and just see how God can use that in your life to help you be ready, stay alert, keep watch every day. And maybe you already have a habit in your life where you're committing yourself to God every day, and that's incredible. And so the other thing that I just want to maybe have you consider is this. 
There's somebody in your life that you can come alongside and you can help them be ready. There's somebody in your life who they, they don't know to take extra oil. There's somebody in your life who maybe they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Or maybe they haven't developed habits in their life that's going to help them stay committed, help them be ready, help them stay alert and keep watch every day. And so would you just begin to pray today, God, who is that person that I can come alongside? And if you pray that prayer, be ready because God's going to bring somebody into your life. And when he does, step into their life, love them, mentor them, help them be ready. So those are three things that I want you to consider while we wait. The first is the most important. Be sure of your salvation. Listen, without that, everything else is just a lamp with no oil. Be sure of your salvation. But once you're sure of your salvation, commit yourself to God. And a great way to do that every day is just say in the Lord's Prayer. And then help somebody else be ready. Make sure that the people around you are ready. Guys, here's why this is so important. Here's why this matters so, so much. Do you remember back in our parable when it was announced that the groom was coming and the five wise bridesmaids wouldn't give the foolish bridesmaids any of their oil, even though they were begging them to? Listen, Jesus did not include that by accident. He was very intentional in that, and the purpose was to teach it was not an act of selfishness. It was meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing faith. It was meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing obedience. You can't borrow a personal relationship with God. You can't borrow the power of the Holy Spirit from somebody else's life for yourself. So when the wise bridesmaids respond by saying, we don't have enough oil for all of us, go buy some for yourself, they aren't saying, we don't care about you. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, we, we can't have faith for us and for you. We can't have a personal relationship for us and for you. We can't be ready for us and for you. Listen, when Jesus returns, it's not your parents' faith. It's not your grandparents' faith. It's not your pastor's faith. It's not your friend's faith that's going to get you into or keep you out of the wedding feast. It's your own faith that's going to get you into the kingdom. It matters. We have to be ready. We've got to keep watch. It's your own relationship with him that's going to matter when that day comes. So you've got to choose to be ready. There's still time while we wait, but there's going to come a time when the wait is over. And so will you be ready? We're going to close with a prayer, and during this prayer, I just want to give you the opportunity to commit to God that you will be ready. Whatever that commitment is, for some of you, maybe it's to make sure of your own personal salvation. Remember, that's the most important thing. For some of you, maybe it's to, to, to do something uh, in your life, like commit your day to the Lord or help somebody else be ready, or maybe just commit, I'm going to read Scripture every day and learn how I can love God and love others, then I'm going to go and do it every day. Whatever that commitment is, as we pray, would you just commit this time to God? Let's pray together. God, we believe in faith that you sent your son Jesus 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. Then he was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. We believe that he was buried and he was resurrected three days later. 
And we believe that you're sending him back to reign as king in your forever kingdom. And God, we want to be ready for that day. If you're here today and you're not sure if Jesus would say, I don't know you to you. The most important thing that you can do to be ready is to make sure of your salvation, to begin a personal relationship with God through Jesus today. Just a second ago, I read this verse from Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be saved right now, right now, by telling God right now, right where you sit. Just make that declaration. Simply pray, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe that you died for my sins, and I accept your forgiveness. I believe that God raised you from the dead, and you're coming back one day. I want to know you personally, and I want you to know me. Thank you for saving me. And if you just made that declaration, if you just asked God to save you, you're promised that when Jesus returns, you're going to be welcomed into his forever kingdom. You are a child of God now, part of his family. And if that's you today, it's the most incredible way to start 2024. I want to celebrate that with you right now. Nobody else is looking, but would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. Today, I made sure of my salvation. Jesus will never say to me, I don't know you. God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in lives in this room right now. Thank you that you've provided a way through Jesus for us to be forever with you. Thank you for those who have said, now I'm ready. And God, whatever step each of us needs to take today to make sure that we're keeping watch, that we're staying alert, that we're standing firm, that we're not wasting the time while we wait, whether that's starting the day by committing our day to you, by committing our life to you every day, whether that's walking along somebody else and helping make sure they're ready. God, whatever the commitment is that we need to make, would you just in this moment of prayer make it very, very clear to each one of us what that is that we need to do, that we need to commit to for 2024, to keep watch, to stay alert, to not waste the time while we're waiting. And God, help us commit to it. Help us to do that thing. God, we want to be ready. We are eagerly anticipating the return of our King Jesus. Help us, God, to stay alert, to stand firm, to keep watch, to be ready. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and for wanting us to be ready to meet you and for giving us everything we need to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Guys, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you back next Sunday. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.